fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And we are doing something a little bit different today. Dalton, do you want to let our listeners kind of know what we're, we got planned for them today? Yeah, we are doing our first alcohol-only episode. So the topic today is whiskey. So it's my turn to, my turn to lead. Um, so we're going to skip the, we normally do the what's on your flight section. We talk about what we're drinking. We're going to skip that today because we're going to be working through eight different whiskeys over the course of the episode, um, which I'm really excited to taste those with you and talk about them. And I would recommend if you uh, haven't already checked it out to go on our website, fantasyandsomeflights.com and look at the show notes. That'll list the eight whiskeys that we are going to talk through. Um, so if you have any of those, you can uh, drink along with us, or we'll also talk at the end if you are looking just to kind of taste one or two, what what like some good recommendations for just a starting point might be. Um, and that's also in the show notes. So you could start there um, and drink along with us as, as you listen through this episode. Well, yeah, no, I, I'm really excited because I'm not knowledgeable <laughs> whatsoever in the whiskey realm. And yep. so th- this is this is pretty exciting because, you know, first off, you know, it's our first episode where we're actually like back together. We so, are. Yeah. So a lot of the uh, the restrictions have been lifted in Indiana where we're living and where we're allowed to gather again. And Dalton and I, who have been practicing social distancing and all of that good stuff, we were able to get together and we actually took some paid time off, some vacation time. And we've been spending the last like four days just playing heavy board games. And so I yes. <laughs> figured we'd uh, finish it off with, with an episode. Yeah. And I love that So you, Nelson has this big whiteboard in his kitchen and it had like a list of like must plays and a list of like maybes. And it's a fairly substantial list when you're looking through and it's like, oh man, that's yeah, Age of Steam. That's going to take a while. Underwater Cities, that's going to take a while. Agricola. Oh man. And we're just going through and like crossing them off. So it's been a busy couple of days. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. We so far, we've gotten through the ones that I was most excited for you to try, which was Brass Birmingham. Yeah, I love that one. Underwater Cities. We got to play Modern Art last night. That was a lot of fun. That was a really, yeah, that was yeah. a really awesome Ro- game. Yeah. Modern Art, which is, I think, probably one of the ones that we haven't talked about on the episode or on the podcast before, but Modern Art is a is a game which is desi- designed by Reiner Knizia, and basically it's a social deduction-esque game. It's It's... It's it's a bidding game. Um, basically, you're 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 playing the part of a con- art connoisseur, and you're selling and buying art. And it's, I mean, it's just basically a mind game with everybody sitting around the table. I got rolled on. It was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. It's like it's played out over four rounds, and one of the rounds, I think, I only scored like twenty four points, and like the final score was like six hundred was the winning <laughs> score. I was like, oh god, oh no. Yeah, but that was rough. Uh, what, what's been your favorite one? My favorite of the ones we tried was definitely Brass Birmingham, and that had been at the top of my list um, to try for a long time. It has a lot of um, elements that I that I knew I was going to like already, and like you had talked highly about it. You had talked about it as potentially like making it into your top five at some point. You know, once we get a couple more plays under our belts, I, I really felt that it was like approachable. Like I could I could walk up to the table, and I I knew that. Um, I wasn't going to have like the perfect strategy, but I also knew that like whatever I was doing was going to like score me victory points. It was going to like move me through the game. Um, so it was the type of game that like as you were playing it, it very much felt like I felt very active and I felt very successful just playing the game because every action you take has like a very it's very impactful. It has it has a lot of benefit. Yeah, it's a great economic game because it's you know, it's a study in supply and demand uh, mm-hmm. pretty yeah. much because, you know, I, I tried a strategy where. 
I pretty much tried to flood the market with some of the basic resources um, and try to get other people to buy my resources rather than utilizing them myself. Did not did not really work. Um, <laughs> I'd like to try it again, just like better this time. But <laughs> but, but yeah, no, that, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to be back, you know, doing this physically in the same person. We don't have Absolutely. to fight technology as much. Yeah, uh, I won't be interrupting you as often accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> This is good. this is good content right here. This is yes. <laughs> so uh, let, let's dive into uh, icebreakers. So what we're gonna do is we started putting out the icebreakers on our social media just to kind of get 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 your guys's opinion on on what what the your answers are. Last week we had two icebreakers. The first one was a was a game that was or it was an icebreaker that was submitted by at pots underscore McGee, and it was what game did you play so much that you got sick of? And I'm just gonna run through some of these answers. I don't think. You've checked any of these answers? No, I haven't seen these yet. I've I like some of these. So Muse Resistance said Dominion. So yeah, I th- I think that was my that was my answer. That yeah, was one of my yeah, answers. you had Dominion as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan underscore Farrell said Catan, but he said it's probably going to stay in his collection because of the wear it has. Yeah, <laughs> because it was his gateway. So like, you fair know, enough. Yeah, like I'm not some nostalgia there. Yeah, I'm not going to get rid of Summoner Wars. I just love that game. I'm, no one's ever going to play it with me. But you know, I just <laughs> you know the box is nice. Yeah. M underscore Sirocco said Code Names. Paladin and Salon. I think that's how you say that. Said I believe zomb- you. I, I'm not reading it, so I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Said Zombie Side Black Plague slash Green Horde. Oh, I've heard good things about that game. Yeah. I've never tried it. I, I've heard I've heard good things too. Um I have no idea what it is, but I've just through some conversations I've heard that it's a good game. Uh he says that he loves it, but his group just wanted to play it too much. Yep. Board games underscore Jojo said Splendor. Which okay. yep. like I could see that. Like I think kind of what we talked about is it it's typically probably going to be one of those gateway games and Splendor is a great gateway game. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then it'll just kind of run out of depth when you start to get to uh, play it too many times and you want to have like higher level strategy and it's like, it's hard to find it in Splendor. Yeah. Noble Redhead uh, said Forbidden Desert, which apparently they played too much during grad school. The Mad Board Gamer uh, said, I wouldn't say I'm sick of it, but the Resistance slash Avalon, he said, we played the shit out of that. Um, <laughs> we played a lot of resistance, like not like the real resistance. Cause we were in college and poor and we didn't actually buy it, but like with a deck of cards, yeah, with a deck of cards, I mean, yeah, red s- cards and black cards. And that's yeah. all you actually need to play resistance. And we played hours and hours and like, yeah, it was one of, it was one of those games that came out when everyone had kind of had their first drink on like a Friday or Saturday night. And we we're like, what is what, what are we going to do? And like a, people, it was an easy one to get a group together to play. Yeah. Hmm. E-Man1462 said Dominion and maybe Settlers of Catan. I'm since a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> Dominion, Settlers of Catan. Tucker J. Nelson said Catan. He says it gets better with Cities and Knights, though, which I've heard. I've heard that uh, Cities and Knights vastly improves that. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is really cool because if you have a uh, a gateway game and you can add an expansion to make it more of a Euro, I think that's a that's a pretty cool expansion. Yeah, yeah it's a, that can point. make a great like first buy, for sure. Spiel Tish Club said Russian Railroads. I have not tried that one. And then uh, D20 Woodworking said Charterstone, which is a legacy game from uh, Stonemaier Games. Um, he said that he just had to finish the campaign. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that happened to me in um, in Pandemic Legacy, the first season where towards the end it kind of like outstayed its welcome. But it's like, but I came this far and you, you want to finish it, you know? Yeah. Pandemic Legacy season two is that, like, I think we're still in July. Okay. So we're like halfway through and every single time we're just like, ah, I don't, let's play something else. Yeah, I just, yeah. Especially because it came off of that such a great pandemic season legacy one. It's just so good. Right. So good. Highly recommend that. 
So the uh, the <laughs> the this, we mentioned we had two icebreakers. The the second icebreaker that we had uh, last week was if you had to remove one from your life completely, what would it be? Books, board games, or alcohol? And so we put that out as like a a question, and we had to put an answer. And so if you did not vote for alcohol, it told you you were incorrect. That that's just a function of Instagram, right? <laughs> but 12% of the people said that they would get rid of board games, mm. which makes sense. Where Especially given the following on Instagram. Being <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all board games. Yeah, so. it's, it's a heavily, yeah, heavily board game group. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 20% said books, and then 67% said alcohol, which, okay. which kind of, that, I mean, that makes sense. It, like, it does, yeah. We'll see if I can change anybody's minds with this uh, this episode. But yeah, right. <laughs> I, think, I think it's kind of the natural choice yeah, for a lot of people. Absolutely. I do like putting those out on Instagram and seeing what other people think because, you know, it. I don't know. I just like talking to you guys. Uh, so let's dive into a – let's do two icebreakers. Let's do – since it's not a board games and it's not a book episode, let's let's do a board game and a – Yeah, one of each. Yeah, yeah. One, one of each. There we go. And and these are we're, – we're running through. We have probably a queue uh, um, of questions that we need to answer. So let, let's run through. Do you want to do board games or books first? first? Uh, board games first. Board games first. Okay, so – this one is submitted from one of our podcast listeners, Amram. He sent it to us in email. And so Amram uh, asked, what is your number one cooperative board game to introduce new players for the best experience? That would have been a really good question to have last episode. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that too. Man. <laughs> so, okay, that's pretty funny. So <laughs> if you listen to last episode, you probably know this. I think kind of we, we go through our recommendations of like the, the introductory or the, the low complexity, the medium complexity, and the high complexity. Right. And so my low complexity recommendation was the crew, which we put. Oh, yeah, that's another one that we played. Yeah, we uh, did play that one. And that I love that game. Yeah. We play, we've probably played, we played for almost three hours on mm-hmm. Thursday night. Yeah. And I think we played for another hour and a half, two hours last night. So we've played like five hours of the crew this weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's, it makes a really good like end of the night kind of game because it's not like super high, high thinky or something like that. You know, I think for me, I would maybe deviate. I, I had I had recommended Magic Maze in the um in the last episode, but I think for this question specifically, I would actually go back to my recommendation for um, the deck builders, which would be the Harry Potter cooperative game, um, because I think that. It's a great game. It's a great game, and it, it does such a great job of walking you through the seven books and like sort of increasing in complexity over time. Um, so it's a really good way to introduce a new player to a co-op game, but then kind of like grow with them. And the crew does that too, to be fair, because it's like um, there's like the fifty missions, and they get harder as you go. But kind of showing a allowing a new player to learn the game and get better at it and be rewarded for that by beating something that's more difficult over time. I think that helps generate some some like buy-in with the game. You know, it makes it more it makes it more it's, rewarding. Yeah, it's almost like a legacy game in a sense yeah right like where it's building on each other um and, and it makes that yeah i think that's a great first game or to get people into the hobby plus it, the theming is off the charts right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's so easy to make someone sit down and play that game because they're like oh harry potter most people like that yeah so they they just put out another one i i think the mechanics are pretty similar to the harry potter but it's toy story themed oh interesting yeah, so they have a they have a toy story deck builder that's pretty much like the harry potter very cool so so great question Sorry, pretty, we didn't pretty read bad, it last week. Pretty bad timing on our part. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Amram. That's on us. <laughs> that 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 one's on us. So, uh, jumping over to the books, we got a submission from a Instagram user, uh, a listener. Uh, Abram Marks is his Instagram username, and his question is: What is your favorite movie that was made from a book, and how does that movie compare to the book or books? And is there any 
movie you enjoyed more than the book. So that's like three and one. Oh man. Yeah, so let, hefty, let's break that down. One. Okay. So what is your favorite movie that was made from a book? Yeah. I think Lord of the Rings did a pretty good job with it. Like the extended versions, of course, like, right. <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time and watch the non-extended versions. <laughs> I'm going to sit down. Yeah. If they're out there, uh, Ender's Game also did really, really well. No, it um, did not. No, it, Ender's okay. Game is terrible. <laughs> um, Ready Player One. Um, oh, oh right. <laughs> man. Yes. Yes. Preach. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, no, I really just need to, like, brainstorm some for a second, though, because there's, like, there's Harry Potter, obviously. Um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Um, 112263. Um, that was a TV show. The t- yeah. Yeah, they yeah, took it into a TV show. They took it into a TV show. Aragon. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, we're, I'm cutting that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Oh, actually, how was the movie? I, I don't remember the movie. Intense. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you remember the book. The book like, is insane. It's, yeah, it's really hard to watch, actually, some parts yeah, of that movie. It, it really is. Okay. Really difficult. I think, uh, Jumper? Yeah. That, that one, I Robot. I oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's I, not, yeah, that's an interesting one because it's like written in the universe, right? But it's not actually telling the same story that the book told. Right, because the the, the book, I, Robot, is kind of like a snippet of short stories. Right, uh, right. And and the movie takes one of those short stories and kind of expands on it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Great Gatsby. <laughs> that's actually, that would be actually probably mine where I liked the movie more than the book, to answer the last part of the question first. Okay. Because I did like that. It wasn't like excellent personally, but like I like Leonardo DiCaprio and I like that. And I think I probably would like The Great Gatsby, but it's that is that curse of like they make you read it in school. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So yeah. it's like I just hated it because I'm like I have to read it. But I think my actual answer to the question would probably probably be Harry Potter, um, because I think Harry Potter, um, like Lord of the Rings, had to jump into the extended versions in order to like encompass everything and make it work. Harry Potter like didn't do that, but I also think that they made some smart cuts. Like I I don't. I don't know. Is there is there a part from Harry Potter that you think is really significant that's missing from the movies? Like, I, I think you still get more by reading the books. Like, you still get better details and stuff, but I don't think there's, like, a large plot hole or something that's just, like, unexplained or done poorly in the movies. Yeah, and that, that kind of dives into the second part of the question, which is, like, what did they leave out? And I think the the one thing that I would, like, that popped into my head that I wish that they had had more of is, like, the in book six when they're going into like the background of Voldemort and his growing up, like they do a little bit of that, like snapshots, but like the whole book six or majority of book six is you learn a lot about that history and about that lore. And that's the kind of stuff that I just really enjoy. Yeah. Like it's not what everyone always enjoys, but I, I, I really love book six. I think it's my second favorite. Okay. And uh, it's probably my least favorite movie. Like it just like it felt so cramped, and they cut yeah. out so many things. I think um, the only the thing that the movies suffered from the most is not having a shared vision of like with J.K. Rowling, right? Because they were coming out kind of as the books were coming out. So like Lord of the Rings, all the books were out, so they knew like which characters were important and which things were important to tell about them. I think Ginny probably like suffered the most in the early movies, where like yeah. she knew that Ginny was a really important character. Um, but like they didn't know that when they were making the movies and so her character is like kind of lame in the movies and then all of a sudden like Harry Potter we know is being spoiler free so we talk about that on our podcast so if you haven't if you haven't read or seen the movies you're gonna have to skip forward or something Um, but we we know that like Ginny and Harry end up together um, in the in the seventh book but that like doesn't really make sense in the movies because you're like well Ginny's been like this side character this whole time like why and it's like well in the book she actually has a lot bigger role yeah that is true and the other the other thing that I think that the sh- movie kind of misses out on is the romantic relationship between Ron and Hermione, and they the the movies do Ron dirty. They they really yeah. do. Like Ron is a lot more competent than the movies make him out to be. 
Yeah, that's um, true. he's just that's kind true. of overshadowed by both Ron or both by Harry and Hermione, which is uh-huh. one of his flaws. And he, he like you know takes that to heart in book seven and like leaves. Uh, but like Ron just kind of seems like this like whiny little bitch like in the movies, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's just like nah, I don't yeah, know. That's it, true. It's easier to respect him. And in the like books. you can't like from the movies you can't just say like, oh, Hermione and Ron should be together. Like that just right. does make sense. That did bring up a good like we we kind of you know make fun of Game of Thrones. But like the, the the first six seasons, the seasons that follow the book, I think are a phenomenal adaptation. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good um, point, and that's really the way that they need to trend, right? They like books just need to be TV shows, right? They they just most of the time they don't make a good movie, right? Yep, and I I'm really excited to start to see that trend. Like I think movies True. are um, kind of like on the decline, and we're starting to see a lot more like with the streaming services coming up, like mm-hmm. uh, you know the King Killer and. Right. Is, is looking for an ad or a TV adaptation and all that kind of stuff. Right, The Witcher, The yep. Witcher. Yep, exactly. So, Game of Thrones. I I, I think that's a that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. That the ones that are actually uh, adaptations of the book. That's true. Once <laughs> it passes the book, it, it it kind of falls apart. Yeah. Um, but if I had to answer a movie, it'd probably be Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And the only thing that they leave out of Lord of the Rings that I really wish uh, was in there is Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. Yeah, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yeah, and then all the uh, like, the like all the different wizards. I think that was a cool part that oh, they kind of yeah, left cool. out of the, yeah. left out of the movies. I I don't necessarily know if I have a movie that I like more than the books. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I, that's a real. It's a really tough question. There's definitely not a fantasy or sci-fi movie that I like more than the books. There's probably mm-hmm. movies out there that I don't realize are books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go look it up like, oh, that was a book. I didn't yeah, know that. Exactly, and so. That may be one of my answers. I just don't know what that answer would be right yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, I have another one. Uh, the Magicians. Oh, yeah. 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 So The Magicians, has, it's again, it's a TV show, not a... And so maybe we're like missing the spirit <laughs> of the question, but it's just easier to do TV shows than movies. But The Magicians um, has a really... It's sort of like Harry Potter, but in college, right? And they die and they're like, you know, drinking and that sort of thing. And so it's a little bit more of an adult version of that, but it has a, like a cool soft magic system. Like there's some, there's some cool parts about the book. Um, or or the, about the story that the TV series does a really good job of showing, but the book is like almost painful to read for us because like the main character is such a whiny bitch, and like all you hear is his internal monologue. It's it's written from the third person limited, um, so you're hearing his perspective all the time. And in the TV show that like goes away, you see him as a character, and it's like it's whiny, but you also get the other scenes with all the other characters that you don't get in the book, and so it kind of weighs it down. So I personally I liked the TV show version of that better than the book. Yeah, I started the book. I don't remember how far I made it. I think we. It's a series, and we we kind of dropped out of that series. Yeah, I finished the first book, but I we, we, I don't think we read past that. So the the, <laughs> and I'm sorry, Amram, <laughs> that was just a perfect question for last week. <laughs> um, so we already had our answers pretty much prepared, but I I see that you have sent another one, so we'll answer that one at some point. But but yeah, thank you for for those answers, Amram, sending it into our email. So if you if you want to send us a question for us to answer, you can send it to us at fantasyandsomeflights at gmail as well as uh, Abram Marks from Instagram. Uh, th- thank you for your question. And if you want us to reach out to us on there to send us, we love getting these icebreaker questions. They're a lot of fun to like talk through. They are, yeah. And because we're both we're both kind of caught off guard. Yeah. Whereas like previously, when you know one Dalton would come up with the question, I was the only one that didn't have a prepared answer. So this this is kind of fun. I, I like mm-hmm. talking about this because we just have to bounce off of each other and just yep. like, uh. yeah. And if you, if you are listening and you have an answer to either of those, um, Nelson has both of those questions set up on our Instagram story, so you can go there and submit an answer to either of those questions. We'll review that um, in the next. One of the next episodes. Yeah, one, one <laughs> of the next episodes. 
So we did start a new thing on Instagram, and this is mainly just because like I'm starting to learn how to use Instagram. <laughs> like there are these things called stories. <laughs> so you know I've been messing around with the stories a little bit, and we we've come up with this thing that we're calling Face Off Friday. So every Friday we're posting a question that's you know two things, one against the other, and you can vote. You know like one of them is Star Wars and Star Trek, so you can vote for Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, but this one, this this last Friday, we did one that kind of dived into the episode topic that we're going to be working on today, which is, you know, drinking uh, bourbon and whiskey and yep. scotch and, yep. and other... You don't know what else, but yes. <laughs> yeah, and other fun things that I'm getting ready to learn about. But the uh, the, the face-off Friday that we worked on uh, th- this week was uh, beer versus whiskey. And my answer was obviously beer. Dalton's answer was... Whiskey. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's it makes it a surprise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 64% of people voted for beer and uh, 36% of people voted for whiskey. I was extremely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I had no backup. Not no backup. I appreciate you if you're in the 36% with me. Yeah, exactly. You are probably classier than me. There so. are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. <laughs> dozens. Um, I'm hoping that this episode will, will change some people's minds. And what I'm actually hanging my hat on is, like, like we said earlier, they're the... Board game community is is a lot stronger in, in, in our Instagram presence. Um, so I'm hoping that it was very strongly weighted towards beer because I think that board game players tend to drink beer more than they drink whiskey. I feel like if we had more of a fantasy and book following that, you know, I think I would have had a higher percentage <laughs> in my whiskey category. Whatever you need to tell yourself. That is yeah. <laughs> that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yep. Let's start drinking. Yep. All right, awesome. Let's get started. Um, so this episode, we're talking about whiskey, and I say whiskey because you know in our in our tag it's beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Bourbon is a subset of whiskey, right? It's a type of whiskey. But we're also expanding outside because, as I was thinking about it, there are five major countries that produce whiskeys: America, America. Yes, you got that right. <laughs> America, Canada, our friends to the north, um, Scotland, Ireland, and Japanese. Those are kind of the five major countries for whiskey production. Um, so we're going to touch on each of those countries, and in several of the countries, we're going to touch on a couple of them. Awesome. So I'm from Kentucky, so yeah, I, I'm right. aware I'm aware of bourbon. And then I remember you tried the Japanese whiskey a couple episodes ago. I, think? I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we, okay. I brought that one. Yeah. Actually, when I came this weekend, I had to bring like a whole duffel bag to hold like, these eight <laughs> bottles of whiskey. It was very heavy. Yeah. We we took a break carrying it upstairs. Yeah, yeah. We did. <laughs> it was it was it was windy. We did. Yep. So this uh, the first one we're going to start with is Eli- Elijah Craig. Here, cheers, buddy. Cheers. So I just shoot it? No, you do not just shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. Um, So we're going to talk about, you mentioned bourbon kind of started in Kentucky. We'll talk about something that comes from the the No family who runs the Jim Beam distillery. And they talk about something called the Kentucky Chew. Um, So that is a a step. um, First of all, you can just go ahead and, you know, sample just to get yourself started. I'm sure when you sample that the first time, it tastes like whiskey. It does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what the Kentucky Chew means, uh, first step is to, and I've already seen you doing this, swirl it in your glass. Um, that's mostly just to bring sight into the senses. You should be able to see, I talked last episode about legs, where it kind of beads up and runs down. That's as the alcohol evaporates out, all the water collects, and it forms a drip, and it drips down your glass. Um, so that gives you a sense of, um, if there are a lot of legs, then it's going to be uh, more watery. If it's, yeah. it's okay. And, and I do see up. some legs on this, Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're also just like noticing the color um darker colors are going to mean that it most likely mean that it spent more time in a in a barrel in a smoked barrel or that it uh, went through like jack daniels goes through a charcoal uh, filtering process and that can impart some color as well 
Um, so the first thing to do is just kind of get the sight of it, and then you want to then you want to sniff it. But the way you want to do this is not by just sticking your nose in it, because if you do that, all the alcohol is going to burn your nose and it's going to hurt. Yeah, um, so I, what, I tried that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't sorry, don't do that. Uh, what you want to do is open your mouth and breathe kind of through your mouth. Um, with your nose in the glass and what that does is it allows air to flow in through your mouth and your nose at the same time so that it doesn't you don't get all of the alcohol vapors flooding up into your nose but it allows you still to smell it without burning your nose that's awesome yeah so that allows you to get like just a little bit of a taste of what it's going or a sense of what it's going to taste like um, then you can sip it it definitely uh, does taste better that way or smell better that way <laughs> yeah it's not going to smell just like alcohol you're like you're actually going to be able to smell what it like that's rubbing alcohol <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So then when you when you sip it, this is the chew part. So you're going to use kind of the sensation of chewing or the motion of chewing to move the alcohol around your mouth and get it to coat the inside of all of your lips and get it to coat all the different parts of your tongue so that you're kind of fully experiencing the liquor. And you can do this, um, obviously, for any type of um, liquor, but it works really well with, with whiskeys that have a very complex flavor where they have multiple things that you're trying to taste. So you're trying to taste vanilla and honey and, and oak and smoke and whatever else is going on. And so make sure that all the different taste bud areas are being activated by the liquor. If I then take a kind of a big sip, sometimes I will like swallow it in two parts to get some of it out of my mouth and allow like my, my throat to start to feel the, the alcohol and, and the heat of it while still having some of it in my mouth to taste. But that's kind of optional if you want to do it in one swallow or two. So we're, we're not very far into the whiskey tasting, and I've already realized that every time I've drunk whiskey in in the past, I've been doing it incorrectly. So, so, <laughs> that's, so that's good. good. That's why we're here to talk about Yeah, that's about. why we're here. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So then what you want to do now, you as you as the liquor leaves your mouth, you have the vapor still in your mouth. I can um, like feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so you don't want to breathe out through your nose. That'll force the vapor up into your nose, and that'll burn. So don't do that. You can do one of two things. Some people... a lot of rules. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's a whole technique to it. Yeah. All of this obviously is optional. All, the only reason I'm talking through this is to help you kind of get the full oh, sense absolutely. of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, So some people like to kind of like almost like smack their lips, kind of like the that sound. That probably sounded really gross. I'm really sorry for doing that. <laughs> but like that sound. Um, and that helps you kind of like draw draw in and you're still kind of retaining the vapor in your mouth. Or if it is kind of like burning you, then after you sip and swallow, you can just like kind of blow out through your mouth. That'll empty it. And most of the flavor will still stick with you. So that's not a bad thing to do at all. Um, it'll help. That would help control the burn. If you find like the burn is affecting you, then after you sip, just blow out through your mouth. I need to make sure I'm not blowing out into the mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't. Do that. <laughs> like, oh wait, that's not good. That's gonna be a practice. bunch of. Gr- yeah, there's a bunch of gross things to yeah. listen to. Now it's episode. editing time. <laughs> so now that we're both kind of like finishing up this one, let me just ask like, how does that hit you? What are you? What are you tasting? Like it, it definitely tastes different because I've had a leisure Craig before, right? But like tasting it, like after smelling it, after doing that. You know, it, it reminds me like for for whatever reason, I'm sure there's science behind it, but it does actually taste different. It's more pleasant to drink. Mm-hmm. I, I do think yeah. so. Like I've been to a couple, like I did a tequila tasting and a wine tasting, and like the way that they walk you through it methodically, which I'm very happy that you're doing here with me. Like I taste it actually different, and like yeah, if you're if you're just taking shots of it, they're probably all going to taste roughly about roughly, the same. yeah, yeah. Right? You're going to get that alcohol, uh, just that hit. What do you pair with this? So like, is it is it mm. is it just a sipping? Do you eat with it? Is it something that you'd be smoking a cigar with? Or how? yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. So I so bourbon is very sweet. You get hints of like of vanilla and that sort of thing. So I will have bourbon as like a nightcap. Sometimes I'll have it with like dessert, like going alongside ice cream, especially if it's like Elijah Craig, which is like fairly affordable. I also like any type of whiskey alongside red meat. Um, so if we're having a steak, then it's a great pairing there. A lot of some people like drinking smokier things with if they smoke like you, you mentioned a cigar personally again that that's 
I prefer to pair bourbon with that because I like kind of the sweet counterpart and bourbon still does have the smokiness. It's just not as strong as like scotch and some of the other whiskeys. So it kind of like plays off of it, but it's more of a compliment instead of like a direct comparison to it. And and what was your rationale behind starting with this one? Yeah, with Elijah Craig, that's a great question. Elijah Craig was actually a guy named Elijah Craig. I mean, he was the first to use a charred oak barrel to age whiskey. And that actually became a defining characteristic of what bourbon is. Okay. Um, so it could be... It could be considered one of the earliest bourbons. Oh, okay. Um, it's also very straightforward. It's, it, it gives you, because like bourbons can play around a little bit in, into like different flavors, but Elijah Craig is kind of like middle of the road. It, it tastes like what you expect a bourbon to taste like. Um, the next one that I wanted us to sample is Booker's, which is the one that I drank a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I said it's like my celebration one. And so this is our 10th um, official episode. Yeah, um, so I drank Booker's on our 10th yeah. overall episode. This is our 10th official episode, so I figured we can drink it again. Exactly, yeah, celebration. Yep, and it's the end of quarantine, so that's a, that's a celebration for us. Okay, so this next one we're drinking, here you go, cheers again. Cheers. Cheers. Is uh, Booker's. Booker No is the, he was the third master distiller for the Jim Beam, and so they've been releasing um, different, basically, batches of some of his favorite whiskeys and releasing them as Booker's. So is Booker's a Jim Beam, like, brand? Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. It's owned okay, by Jim cool. Bean. And then this so this one specifically we're drinking the twenty sixteen oh one batch, which is the one again that you gave me, so that it's the one that I've had for a long time. Yeah, because you graduated in twenty sixteen. Yeah, exactly, because I graduated like, in twenty sixteen. That, That's why you got it for me. So is that like January twenty sixteen? I believe so. Okay. Um, cool. And so this but that's one not, that's not like when it was just or not distilled. Is it distilled? Is that the correct word for it? Or is it like No, it would have been so this one specifically was uh, I believe that's the bottling date bottling because okay. yeah that's what's a, because it was aged for six years 11 months so oh, seven okay. years which is actually long for a bourbon i'm sure there's science that goes into that yeah um so let's talk about what makes um a whiskey a bourbon um i wanted to give this one to you to taste and so as i'm talking you can go ahead and taste it just because it's it's a bourbon but it is more complex so you should get other kind of notes coming into it maybe like some leathery notes maybe some some more like smoky notes or other things like that um it's going to taste like elijah craig but just with like maybe a little bit more body and complexity to it and you did do just like what you mentioned last episode where you, where we did water this one down so this one has a little bit of water and it mm -hmm. just i i saw yep. so this is like a mixed drink it's like a mixed drink <laughs> yeah whiskey and water no it's and that's because it's bottled at about 64 percent um, so 64%, if you tried to taste that, if you don't have a developed palate, it would mostly just taste like alcohol. 64% by alcohol is a lot when most whiskeys are around like 40 to 45%. So you add water back to this. That also makes it stretch, right? Like your drink is longer because you have more li or liquid in your glass. Yeah. It, it, it feels smoother. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Even and though like, it has you, like the higher alcohol content and stuff, even when you and, water and it down. And like you don't even like notice that it's watered down. It feels like there's more flavor. Yeah. But it, it like I feel like I can taste this more even than the Elijah Craig. It, like, it, I just, I, there's less alcohol taste and I can, it feels like I can taste the, I don't know the words, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I can taste the, uh, the, the bourbon. So a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that it's aged for seven years, right? So the, it spends more time in a wood barrel. Wood can act as a filter. And so it's filtering out more of the undesirable elements that are in it and so it comes out as a smoother taste um, it also makes a difference when they make the cut so when they distill whiskey it, it sort of comes off you can imagine it as coming off as a rainbow of elements going from like light elements let's say in my analogy are like red colors um, and heavy elements in this analogy would be like purples um, and let's say bourbon or, or whiskey in general is like the color yellow okay um, and so if you so pretty light right yeah and if you make that cut and you select 
um, only yellow as what you're going to sell, then you'll get a really high quality uh, whiskey. Um, but you could also like pull in, like kind of expand your cut and pull in a little bit of like orange yellow, pull in a little bit of like yellow green. And both of those taste bad, um, but they give you more <laughs> volume, right? It's more material. So then it's you're, you're, you have more things to sell. Um, so that makes for a lower quality whiskey when you kind of expand that cut range, but it gives them more things to sell, which is why they do it. Um, so in something like this, that's a higher quality. That's what that means is they kind of narrowed in more specifically on ethanol and the things that were coming off with it. Did you make that analogy up or is that like a set analogy or did you make it up just to talk to me because I, I'm like studying optics. <laughs> the, like the rainbow? Oh, because you, yeah, no, I, um, I made that up. I did not think about the optics thing though, that it would, but you know, like you're speaking were, my language. I'm speaking your language. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that's working for you. Okay. So you, you talked about this as like the yellow, mm -hmm. right? What, like, what is a leisure Craig? Like, where does that fall? Like, is it, is it lighter or is it darker, like heavier? Oh, no. So all of the whiskey, in my analogy, would be a color yellow. Oh, And actually, okay, even okay. like scotch, Japanese, like all of it would fall within the color yellow. I see. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's I, where ethanol is coming off. Same page. Um, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> um, the trick is like what happens beforehand? How do you prepare your liquid? And, and we'll get into like how that's done um, so that the things that come off with yellow taste good. Perfect. Okay. And so bourbon. So there's a couple things that make bourbon a bourbon. And as you're sipping through, I want to just talk through this. So um, there are there are mainly four rules in the USA. Bourbon is a USA trademark, um, so other countries cannot cannot distill and sell bourbon. Only the USA can do and that. And it can only be done in Kentucky. That's actually a myth. So <laughs> if you're, it's mostly done in Kentucky by by convention, but they opened that up to all of the United States can now do it. So well, now I feel less special. <laughs> <laughs> Most of it does still come from Kentucky. Elijah Craig, I believe, is an example of that. As obviously is Booker's, which comes from Jim Bean. But you can distill it in. I remember when I was living in Houston, I went to a bourbon distillery and okay. had a tour there. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, well, yeah, learning learn something stuff. new. <laughs> learning something every day. Um, another one is that the mash must must be fifty one percent corn at least. What's mash? So mash is the. It's basically what you're starting with. It's a mixture of grain that is then fermented and be, and later becomes whiskey after being distilled. And so, so is you this can, like your hops type? Yeah, it would be analogous to hops. Um, in, in beer and beer can also use like barley and other things. You can have a wheat beer that starts with wheat in its mash, right? It, for bourbon, it must be at least 51% corn. Um, corn is an extremely sweet grain. I mean, we eat corn basically straight, right? And you yeah. eat it as like a side vegetable. Yeah. In the South, it's a dessert. It's a dessert, right? And that leads to a lot of sweetness in bourbon because there's a lot okay. of sugars in corn that kind of get carried through into bourbon. So it's much sweeter than other nations' whiskeys. Okay. It, it, sorry. And lot of information just reiterating corn is used in all whiskeys or just bourbon that's a, that's a really good question um and so let's actually talk about how whiskey is made i think it'll be a little easier um to answer that so i'll have to scroll to my notes about it dalton has an entire like one note notebook it's three <laughs> terabytes in size he's been contacted by microsoft itself to try and reduce <laughs> the file size of this thing <laughs> so bourbon uh, or whiskey in general, like you said, it's essentially it's essentially a hopless beer to start. Okay. Um, so you start off by taking um, some grain, which is then prepared in some way. It can be malted or roasted, and that means malted would be like soaking it in water so that it starts to germinate, and, it, and that grain, which is basically a seed, starts to sprout. Um, or roasted would be like toasting it. And you mix that with water, um, and that group of grains, that's what we call the mash. So when I was saying it must be in the mash, be 51% okay. corn. Um, whatever you are taking as your grains and soaking in water, that is that is your mash. 
for bourbon, like I said, it has to be 51% corn, and that's a little unique. Actually, most of the whiskeys have unique um, grains in their mash. Okay. That's kind of what okay. makes them different. Cool. Um, so then water's added, um, and then that makes something called the wort, which I think is a really gross word. But I think it's actually maybe called the same thing in beer. Yeah, I think it is the same thing in beer. And I was it, like, that sounds exactly like what my Mr. Beer bro thing Right, called. exactly. Yeah. Because then you take that and you add yeast, and it actually makes a beer. And so all whiskeys go through a step where they are a beer. Um, but because, Interesting. Yeah, okay. but because they're targeting something different, they're going to have a different alcohol percentage, and it would be really gross to drink. Um, they're also hopless. Although I think you can now, there are some people who are experimenting with hops going into whiskeys. So I don't know how that works out. So... Yeah, I guess that gets into the uh, the standards committee has to get dive down in and classify what makes a whiskey and what makes a beer at that point. Yeah, yeah, good question. <laughs> what's, what's the defining characteristic of each? Right. Um, so now you add yeast. That yeast converts the sugars that are coming in from the grains into alcohol for you. Okay. Um, so you're ending up with like an 11% or something, 16%, depending on what yeast you're using uh, mixture, and the yeast dies off. And then in whiskey, they take that, um, where beer would take that, and like that would kind of be their final product. Whiskey takes that and distills it. So distilling is the process of heating it up so that it evaporates and so the liquid becomes a gas and that gas goes somewhere and they condense it back into a liquid and that helps purify it right so all the nasties kind of remain behind in okay. the, in the yeah. liquid um, but all that good ethanol and all the like sweetness that's coming off with it that's where the color yellow that i was talking about that's where they'll make their cut to, so that they're distilling off only the things they want and they collect that and that's called their new make um, it's whiskey that is clear it would also sort of be like moonshine or something would be like this step um, and I've tasted that at different distilleries, and it tastes very pure. It tastes sweet, um, but you wouldn't drink it because it's it's usually a very high alcohol percentage, something like seventy or eighty percent. Oh wow! Yeah, who was who was the first person that's like, I'm going to drink that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, we did all this stuff to it. We're going to heat it up, and now we're going to. I believe the Irish were the first to come up with like whiskey as a concept. I don't it, know, if, like, smart what people. Yeah, no, smart, smart men. people. I mean, like it, just like it baffles me. I think we were talking about it earlier with some of the other stuff, and I think you brought it up for the whiskey how. Like, who 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 figured this out? Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just like it seems so many steps to distill down into something that's on a store shelf, right? And I think when you right. dive into pretty much anything, you realize that there's a lot more depth going into anything that's made. Yeah. But like, it's just fascinating to hear someone who actually knows a lot about it talking yeah. about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So then, once you have that new make, and this is actually exactly what you were talking about, I think this is just so fascinating. When you have the new make, you put it in barrels, um, and it ages. It gets a lot of flavor from the barrel. It also gets a bunch of its flavor from the mash, like we were talking about, and also from like water quality and where you're making your cut and some other things. But most of like the flavors that you experience come from the grains that you use, and they come from the barrels that you use. And you said bourbon had to be done in a wood barrel? It has to be done in a wood barrel, and it has to specifically be done in an oak barrel that is newly charred. So they actually like light a fire and like burn it, and it has like a black charcoal That's crazy. effect. Yeah, and it, and it can only be used once. So once a barrel, because it has to be new. So once a barrel is used for bourbon, it's it was a it was a brand new barrel that got charred and they put bourbon in it. Once it's done, it can no longer be used to make bourbon. Um, so that's why you see a whole bunch of like bourbon barrel beers and you see bourbon barrel maple syrup and you see bourbon barrel all these things. It's because that barrel can't be used again. Other whiskeys will use barrels two, three, even four times over and over because they still retain the flavor. But bourbon can't. But bourbon can't. Yeah. So oh, then you have this really great barrel that has to just be sold to be used for something else. I know. So I did a tequila tasting. Okay. Um, a Jose Cuervo tequila tasting down That's in awesome. uh, down on one of my cruises, and they they actually they they made a partnership with uh, one of the bourbon distilleries, and they they make their tequila in old bourbon barrels. 
Um, That's so cool. Basically, yeah. it was like, hey, we'll take those from you. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, like poor area of the world, you know, they're they're making this out of the blue agave plant. And right. They're just like, oh, we just need something. And it's like, hey, you can't use those anymore. Dibs. Yes. Yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> we'll take that. And as I was doing this, like, research, one of the ways that that, like, started is in the old days, like, barrels would have been kind of hard to come by, right? Uh, like a new one. And so what they would do is they would take old barrels that have been used for, like, God knows what, right? It might have, like, stored some fish in it. It might have stored, like, whatever. And they would burn it to clean it out. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, that's how they made sure that it was, like, clean and ready to be used for, like, whiskeys. Huh. Okay. And so that's that's how the, like, charred oak barrel kind of started, which I thought was really cool. So we're both kind of finishing up. Now let's move on to uh, rye whiskey. Before we do that, I like I'm just trying to keep these ranked in my head. I, I like this one a lot better than the Elijah Craig. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, <laughs> that's I good. It's more expensive. <laughs> yeah, I realize that there's a price difference there, but like I'm just gonna try and like throughout the podcast, I think it would be kind of um, hard to rank all eight, but I'm gonna try and keep in mind what my favorite one is because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that was fun. So rye whiskey. Yeah, I think and I think the theme there, especially once you get into the higher end bourbons is that it's it's complex. Oh, and actually that reminds me, one thing I wanted to talk about, about bourbon. Bourbon is one of the only whiskeys that doesn't have an age requirement. So a lot of other countries say that it has to be aged for like three years or something to be, okay. called, a, be called a Canadian whiskey, or be called a scotch. Not true for bourbon. But in order to use the word straight, it must be barreled for at least an aged in a barrel for at least two years. Um, so if something is called a straight bourbon, it has been in a barrel for at least two years. And if it's between two and four, they have to additionally, if they use the word straight, they have to additionally list the age. So any, like if you look at an Elijah Craig bottle, it says Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, and it does not give an age. That means it was aged for at least four years. Oh, interesting. And so like the longer you age it, does that make it more alcohol? Does it alcoholic? I'm sorry. (laughs) It actually, it's actually the other way, which is um, kind of surprising the, Hmm. because alcohol evaporates first. Um, So they actually lose, I think it's about half a percent of alcohol by volume per year that it's aged in a barrel oh no kidding. so that's another thing that makes it more expensive if it stays longer is because they will usually bottle it at a high alcohol percentage and then when they or sorry they will barrel it at a high alcohol percentage and then when they bottle it they'll water it back down okay um so if it has dropped significantly in alcohol content then they're getting fewer bottles out of it oh okay because they're adding less water exactly they're adding less water and so that's what makes a bourbon expensive if it or a whiskey in general if it is expensive if it ages for a long time because it loses its alcohol content over okay, time. Okay, cool. Um, and then again, the wood um, acts as a filter. As wood get hot, gets hot, the pores expand. The alcohol kind of enters those pores, um, and and other like bad stuff is kind of absorbed into the wood. And then when it cools off, the pores close and kind of forces the liquid back out. And so that's kind of a continual filtering process as it's pulled into the wood and pushed back out. And the more that that happens, the smoother the taste get, and the more that you pick up vanilla flavor, which comes from oak, has vanillin as a protein in it and so it picks that up over time um, and then you also pick up like smoky woody flavors leathery flavors kind of those earthy flavors often typically come from the wood and the longer it's been barreled it becomes you pick up more of those and you get what you got in bookers your note is, is that it's very complex right that's yeah. what makes that happen so so now my dumb question comes in the you, you said as it heats up and cools down is that just like sitting in a barrel as it goes through like the seasons it's heating yep. up or yep. do they physically like put it in an oven or anything like that yeah most of it that's one reason why it's done typically in the south is that most are not temperature controlled okay, okay. um so even like um i don't know if you remember seeing um i think it was jim bean like two or three years ago like lost a warehouse where like it collapsed yeah, and all these, down. yep and like all, they like went everywhere and that that wasn't that wasn't air con, air conditioned basically that's why it looked like a shack right oh, okay. because they actually want the temperature swings and that's also why it typically happens in the south is so that it, it doesn't get to like freezing temperatures Oh, cool. As okay. often. 
right, so let's move on to the rye. Here, cheers, buddy. Cheers. So yeah. this is actually exciting for me because um, this is a new one. I haven't tried. I haven't tried this whiskey yet. This is Templeton rye. It says on the bottle that it's been aged four years. They kind of have this whole like marketing thing about it being like Al Capone's like favorite whiskey. Oh, okay. There's some debate back and forth of whether that's like actually true or just a marketing stunt, but it's kind of fun. So rye whiskey has a, has a whole history associated with it. It means though, if it's called a rye whiskey, it means that it is 51% rye in the mash. Okay. Um, so just instead like of corn, instead of corn, yeah. And so rye again, that um, rye can be it's like rye bread, right? Or yeah, those like yeah, rye yeah. chips from uh, Chex Mix, like it's the same stuff. Okay. Um, you can have 51% rye like i said in order to call it a rye whiskey templeton specifically actually has 100 percent rye whiskey. oh wow um, so it's very high and rye has a lot of complexity to it it has a lot of spiciness to it um it smells al- more alcoholic yeah i think they will typically have like a higher burn and maybe have yeah um, it's sort of like you're accepting some spiciness and some burns and okay heat yeah, in yeah. order to get like some complexity and flavor it definitely tastes different mm-hmm. yeah and that's what i get, like as i breathe out i get like some of that heat to come in and then as it some subsides you get some even like potentially like some flowery notes like rye is almost remind me of like an equivalent of an ipa yeah to the beer world how you're accepting some in ipas you're accepting bitterness in order to get floral notes and complex um complexity in rye you're kind of accepting some burn in order to get and some heat in order to get complexity rye yeah, i like it oh good yeah, yeah I, I like actually it. i on my list i was thinking you would like rye or maybe scotch the most we'll okay see when we yeah. get to scotch yeah we'll, we'll see but like this one's good. Yeah. yeah, they've got some funk to them. And actually, Rise have been kind of coming back. So Rise became really popular during Prohibition because America can supply corn, right, which is where bourbon came from. But in Prohibition, nobody, no American distilleries were making alcohol legally. Um, <laughs> so a bunch of alcohol was imported from Canada. But Canada can't grow corn, but they can grow rye because it can survive the Canadian winters. Okay, so is this like the Canadian? Yeah, when we get, it's actually not a Canadian. It is a rye whiskey, but Canadian whiskeys do typically have rye in them. Oh, okay, cool. Because it, kind of the history of it. it um, is, okay, like, sorry for all my dumb questions. Is rye just like another plant, like corn? Yeah, it's a it's a grain, like corn. Okay. It, it would look like wheat or something like that. Yeah. So um, okay. Yeah, so corn as a grain is kind of a weird one, right? Because it like you can eat it basically. Now you can't eat it straight. You have to cook it, but it has like that sweetness to it. Most, and I've seen a lot of corn in my life. <laughs> and, yeah, in Indiana, we see a lot of corn all the time. Um, the other big grains that are used in whiskeys would be like barley rye um wheat okay Those would be kind of the yep. main ones um so they're typically more of what you would think of like a grain going into a bread as opposed to corn yeah i'm really enjoying tasting these back to back because mm. you can really highlight how they taste different yeah whereas yeah. like and one thing you can do too is you can actually like you can hold on to a little we have a couple of glasses here if you like one and you want to compare later like you can hold on to a little bit and then as we go on you can pour yourself yeah i'm definitely gonna hold glass. on to this one okay cool Rise do still have to be charred in a new oak barrel. Okay. Um, so similar to bourbon in that way, but it's sort of like, again, the main difference is using rye instead of corn. Can can a rye reuse barrels? Uh, no, it still has to be a new one. Okay. Okay. Um, cool. So I don't know, though, why we don't see like, I think it just doesn't have the name recognition that bourbon does. Yeah. So like a bourbon barrel beer and that sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe it would just taste funky because of the funkiness of rye. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've never heard like... Ooh, I like rye whiskey. Like that's just not, and maybe it's because it's not as popular as bourbon in right. our area. Right. But like, you know, I just hear I'm drinking bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. don't even have to, like, bourbon. I guess is a noun, but it's also like an adjective for whiskey. Right. Um, whereas rye, I think of only an adjective for whiskey. Like I don't, okay. I, I wouldn't ever hear someone say I'm going to drink a rye. Yes. Yeah. You right? would say so, I drink a rye whiskey. So yeah. like, yeah, you, yeah, you have that like name recognition of bourbon. Yeah. 
Um, the thing to try about rye too, most people don't, it, it, I, I don't say most people, it, it, I think it's less common for people to drink it straight like we're doing it. There are, there's a good group of people that do, um, but ryes make great mixed drinks because they do have that complexity. They do okay. have that spiciness. Um, so if you're a fan of Manhattans, if you're a fan of old fashions, any of those typically bourbon drinks, I would encourage you to try it one time with a rye because I love a rye Manhattan. I think that's way superior to a bourbon Manhattan because bourbon brings sweetness, but then you're going to take a Manhattan and add um, vermouth, which is already kind of sweet, right? Or you're going to take an old fashioned, you're going to add simple syrup, which is just sugar water to it, something, a liquor that's already kind of sweet. Um, so when you contrast that with a rye, you get like the spice complex of a rye, but it takes the burn away because you added sugar water. Okay. Right? So the mixed drinks with ryes are, are more common and, and really, really good. You make much more complex mixed drinks than I do. <laughs> when you when I say mixed Vodka drinks, and Coke. <laughs> Vodka and Coke. That's what you think of. Yeah, man. We back in the day, Fireball and Coke. That's like all we drank for oh, a long gotta, time I, in college. I just got like a hangover hearing you say those. I know words. it's so oh, gross now. No, but that's a whiskey. Oh my god. <laughs> I think technically, <laughs> it says on the bottle it's a whiskey. It's not a bourbon. It has a little asterisk, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, whiskey apostrophe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that that's aged for at least four years too, right? The fireball. Oh my god, <laughs> I don't know that it's barreled. <laughs> we don't, who knows? All right, so now um, there's a couple other whiskeys here from America that are really common. The next one, and we're not going to sample these, but I wanted to mention um, Tennessee whiskey, which would be Dak, Jack Daniels kind of piloting that is essentially a bourbon that is then charcoal filtered. Um, so it meets all the requirements of a bourbon, but it has the additional step of charcoal filtering it. And because they wanted to like trademark that, that's called a Tennessee whiskey. Um, so Jack Daniels, uh, Dickles is another like really popular one. Um, we're not trying that because I don't like it. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, weeded bourbons. And so in a mash, again, this is getting kind of technical on a mash. So you're going to bear with me. It is still going to be 51% corn at least. Most people will have like that. And then they'll have like a major and a minor grain after that. So okay. something that's like 30% and something that's like 20%. Okay. Wheat is uncommon to use as the next most or the next most prevalent grain after corn because wheat is also kind of sweet. Okay. But there are weeded bourbons. Um, and they'll, that sometimes they'll say that. Um, the most popular examples of this is Maker's Mark. Okay. Um, so it yeah, makes yeah. It a, a bourbon that's even sweeter because it's using wheat, which is kind of like the next sweetest grain after corn. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so Maker's is, Maker, is a really sweet. Yeah, Maker's is very sweet. Okay. Cool. Um, and it's I, I order Maker's a lot at a bar if I'm just like kind of out drinking because first of all, Maker's is super consistent. It always tastes the same. And it's easy to drink over the course of a night because it kind of maintains that sweetness even after you've had multiple drinks. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yep. Good to know. So after that, that kind of covers um, the US. We're going to move to our neighbors in the north. And this will actually be a good one to maintain your rye next to because all Canadian, most Canadian whiskeys still use rye in their mash. They're just not 51%. So they can't be considered a quote-unquote rye whiskey? Right, and they they prefer to be marketed as a Canadian whiskey anyway. Oh, okay. So Canadian whiskey like, is a different thing than a rye whiskey. That's right, I yeah. thought you, Yeah, I thought you were just saying like a whiskey from Canada. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, no. So like we're going to drink Crown Royal. That would be like the most popular one, I think, in the um, U.S. I've heard that name before. Right? Yeah, you know Crown Royal. bags. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they make great dice bags. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but Crown Royal is marketed as a blended Canadian whiskey. Okay. Um, so you can go ahead while I talk about this, you can go ahead and sample the Crown Royal. One thing to know, like I said, Canadian whiskeys, when they started out, really could only use rye. That was like their main ingredient they, that they had access to because it was all they could grow. And so Canadian whiskeys kind of have that as a tradition. And actually, in general, Canadian whis whiskeys are very traditional. They they stick with their mashes. They stick with their, with their processes. And so you have the same taste um, that you would have a long time ago. 
Um, Crown Royal specifically blended. What that means is that they have like a guy or a group of people who have ex- who are basically like savants in tasting, and they will mix <laughs> okay. multiple batches so that they get the exact same taste of really? Crown okay. Royal every single time. Wow. Scotch does that too. There are a lot of blended scotches. In, U- in the U.S., because we don't have like that level of tradition, blended typically is actually a bad thing. Yeah. Um, okay. But in countries like that are making it a long, long time, like Canada and uh, Scotland, that can actually be a good thing. So like if I if I look at like two bottles of Elijah Craig from 2015 and 2017, mm-hmm. like would they taste different? Uh, to somebody, not to you and I. Okay, yeah. But like somebody might be able to tell the difference. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, but like you and I probably wouldn't. But like the the same people probably would not be able to tell the difference between a 2015 and a 2017 uh, Crown Royal. E- even like a 1970 and a 2015. Oh wow, that's that's the level of tradition that they're trying to hit. So do they do they have like? 1970 crown royal out there that like you taste it with does it I like, yeah i don't know actually i've wondered that exact same thing too because theoretically it would change over time so i don't know how they maintain that level of like quality and consistency but i know that that's kind of like their goal um and they maintain their like the way that they make it and the stills that they make it and the cleaning schedule and all that stuff is the exact same every time getting wood from the same forest getting grains from the same field wow. all that stuff that's crazy yeah it's really important to them this one's got a lot of legs it does yeah yeah and i think i mean part of that is that it, it is like the the 40 percent um so it's already very it's it, that's the minimum for whiskey across the world it's going to be 40 percent by volume so it's already very watery is, is that like standardized or is that just like i don't know historical? I, I think that's just what everyone kind of agreed to okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. i don't know that there's like a law like an international yeah. law but that's what everybody has oh cool okay uh, maybe there is I, I could be wrong on that but canadian canada has the most relaxed rules for what something has to be in order to be called a canadian whiskey which is kind of funny um their fda actually regulates that it must be made in canada okay that's a good start Wow. We did the same thing in bourbon, so you can't yeah, fault yeah, them. Yeah. And all the whiskeys basically have that. It has to be aged at least three years. Um, so all Canadian whiskeys are aged at least three years. And that means in the barrel, right? Yep. Aged in the yep, barrel yep, yep. for three years. And then their FDA, and I found this hilarious. I didn't know this until I researched this episode, <laughs> but the FDA says it must possess the aroma, taste, and character of a Canadian whiskey. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so can't get much more clear than that. Right. It's like if you age it and it tastes like Canadian whiskey, then it's a Canadian whiskey if it's made in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it takes so okay this this may not actually ever happen but does it for for like the canadian whiskey when it says made does the entire process have to take place in canada or is it just like the barreling process just the bottling process oh that's a really good question i don't know i believe that it's the that it's the di- like the the mash the distillation like the fermentation the distillation and the barreling because people will send their their barreled whiskeys to other places to bottle them Right, just from like a production standpoint, that makes sense to a lot of companies. And so I don't know if they could bottle it outside of Canada if it would still be a Canadian whiskey. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I don't know that one. It's a good question, though. Yeah, Yeah. so I, I saved a little bit of my uh, of my rye, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Templeton rye, which I think, I, I didn't say it, but I do like this one more than the Booker's, I think. The Templeton rye. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just taste it. Like, I like the spicy. I, yeah. I like the spicy. Yeah. And I do still like the Templeton rye. I just tasted it right next to the Crown Royal. I like the Templeton rye better. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's not, based on what I know about you, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because um, Canadian whiskeys, like I said, they will still tend to have rye in them because that's traditional for yep. them. But they're typically less than 50% of rye in the mash. If they have heavier than that, they'll usually market that. They'll indicate somehow that it's rye forward in the mash. Otherwise, okay. it's going to be like 15 to 30%. Okay. And they are character- characterized by being like light, being sweet. They can't have a lot of flavors in them and like really nice one. Crown Royal is kind of like, that would be like the Elijah Craig equivalent, right? If we got a really nice Canadian whiskey, you'd probably taste some of that more complexity in it. But they're almost always going to be very easy to drink. Um, I think that's probably because they want to be able to drink them at hockey games. 
As you do. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other Canadian we have downstairs is that good Wayne Gretzky number 99. Woo! <laughs> we need to break back out. I think I drank that in like the second episode. Yes, you did. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, it's the, the only whiskey I had in my house. Yeah, that was. <laughs> and all I had was the Angel's Envy. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you brought the Angel's Envy and yeah. then we broke. Yeah, because we did both of those in one night. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that was a night. That was a night, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, Canadian whiskeys, I, I think, alongside Irish whiskeys, are going to be your easiest to drink. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it feels easy. Yeah. Like the Crown Royal. And I think that's probably like maybe one of the reasons it's so popular, right? Like you hear oh, absolutely. A, a lot of people drink Crown Royal. Like it's, it's a name brand that people recognize. Yeah. And it's probably because it's, it does like, it's, it's just easy to drink. It's just like, it feels very like light. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's my second probably go-to again at a bar. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's like, I can, I'm on a night out. I don't need something that's like super complex. It's just like, just give me something that's nice. And Crown's always going to be that. Again, it's blended. You're going to get the same thing every single time. So, and some dude sits in an attic and, Tells you how much to blend it. That's right. No, nope, <laughs> nope, that's not it. Okay, uh, a little bit more of this. Dude, what I would give, though, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, like, have that level of, like, developed palate and skill to actually be able to be like, okay, no, like, we need 2% more of that whiskey versus that whiskey, and then we'll have the taste. That's crazy. Yeah. That, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. Um, so that's that's Canadian whiskey. There's a lot of complexity there um, in brands and stuff that I don't really personally get into um, because I, I like bourbons more than Canadian whiskeys. Um, but really good to know for the comparison. And they're actually a really good starting point if you have never drank whiskey at all. Crown actually is one of the ones I might point you to. Yeah, it, it, it definitely felt like the easiest to drink out of the, the four that we've tried so far. For sure. All right, so let's move on to um, scotch. And I'm actually really excited to move into scotch because I think it's going to pass the rise. I think scotch is going to okay. be your favorite. Okay. Well, I can see you stole this one. <laughs> I did not steal <laughs> it. No. I was so worried you're going to comment on that. So this one that I bought came in, a, it came back in a little box, like a box the size of the bottle. Um, and so when we checked out in a self-checkout, I forgot to open it and ask them to take it off because you couldn't see it because it was like in this box so oh. we just like paid for it and walked out and then i got home and opened the box and i was like oh no like, it, has it has a little security thing on it It has a little security thing on it It looks like i stole <laughs> it no i paid for it i promise but but at least it like it was a cork so it didn't actually like matter like yeah exactly i can get the cork <laughs> off and still pour it but as long as like actually i wonder if it'll just uh no it's it's in there it's not gonna just like slide off it's gonna explode and your everything's gonna be blue i know and an alarm's gonna go off yeah. and everyone's just gonna hear the audible alarm did you buy it in lafayette I did, yeah, to okay, Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meyer's alarm circle. What? What's going on, man? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about that too. I was like, we must have walked out with it, like, yeah. and I, they must have gone off, but I didn't notice it. Is this lighter? It is lighter. Yeah. So, so this is the. We're actually going to do two scotches. Um, we're going to do a peated and an unpeated. Um, I'm also looking at that, and noticing I probably poured yours a little tall. There, there's a lot of legs on this one. And like, okay, so like some like the last the the Crown Royal, the legs were like thicker. Is that just a function of how I'm spinning it? Or like this one, the legs, there's more legs and they're skinnier. Yeah. And honestly, there's like a whole science that gets into like what, because it's all a function of surface tension mostly. Okay. And, but every different chemicals have different surface tensions. Water has like a fairly well established one. Alcohol does too. But as you pull in different flavors, as you pull in again, the proteins like vanilla and other things into bourbon that can affect the size of the, of the leg. Got it. Okay. Um, and so that can get like really complex. And so one reason I think when you're looking at legs, you're probably not going to conclude too much about the actual, like the way it's going to taste. Um, you, you can sometimes again, conclude some things about the way it's going to feel. That's not going to be a hundred percent, a, a 100% accurate indicator, but it can indicate, um, that's going to feel like slicker or oilier. If you see no legs or it's going to feel like firmer and, and waterier if it has legs. But there's not going to be a whole lot of indication of like flavor, and it's not really well understood like why 
they <laughs> will happen or not. Yeah. Okay. Thing. That one's good. So that should taste different. It's a weird aftertaste. It's a it's a diff, it's nifty. So scotch, one thing when people will say is that the first time someone drinks a scotch, they won't like it. The second time they'll think it's all right, and the third time they'll be a scotch drinker for life. <laughs> okay. Um, and so scotch is. Is that why we're doing two? That's why we're doing two. So you're going to at least get to the point where you like it. <laughs> That's the hope. Um, so scotch comes from Scotland. There are a couple rules about it. It's known, first of all, it's known as like kind of the king of whiskeys. Scotches oh, okay. of them. I mean, like besides bourbon. Of besides bourbon. <laughs> but I think even as like a primarily bourbon drinker, I would have to recognize that scotch is a finer art. It's more complex. It has okay. like, it's more steeped in tradition. They've been making it since like the years had only three digits instead of four. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. So there's a lot going on there. It is made from 100% malted barley in the mash. That's actually a requirement of scotch. Oh, okay. So um, barley, it like if you, if you ever get like a, like a 12 grain, like a 12 grain, bread or something like that and it has like those whole like sort of kernels in it um that's what barley kind of looks like it looks like a like a grain and if i say like a grain and your mind comes up with like a shape you know that sort of looks like yeah. a that that's kind of what barley looks like oh okay yeah. um yeah. and so malt it's also 100 percent malted barley which means that it was kind of soaked in water and allowed to start to germinate once it's then germinated and it's wet they have to most of the time they dry it out before using it um in a germination or before they use it in their wort. And so to dry it out, you can dry it over like a flame or in heated water or heated air. Many scotches will heat and dry their malted barley over peat. And so if you hear of like peated scotches, what that means is peat is sort of like a moss almost. I, I know what peat is because there's right. an expansion or the... I don't know if it's the expansion to Agricola or there's a game similar to Agricola where you have to clear out all the peat uh, <laughs> to, to plant stuff. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, peat, that's bad stuff. I actually know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, in our next, the the whiskey we are currently drinking is Akintoshans, um, which that's fun to say. I don't know if you actually like saw the word. No, I didn't. It's going to be like such an, Akintoshans. it's going to be super annoying to like put in the show notes because it's so hard to spell. <laughs> Honestly, I thought it started with an O. Right. Yeah. Right. It's actually A-U, Akintoshan. Huh. Um, and this which is our American. German. It does sound German, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. And this is their American oak. And so one reason I brought it in is it's called the American oak because it is also first aged in bourbon casks. So they buy, and that's actually very common for scotches. They buy old bourbon barrels and they use that as kind of their first aging. When you say first aging. Yeah. And so that's where <laughs> scotch gets really cool. So I said earlier that flavor comes from the preparation of the mash and it comes from barreling. Yes. So bourbon has to be barreled in newly charred oak barrels there's no room for change in there right but they can change their mash and so they get flavor from that okay scotch yep. is the other way they're restricted on their mash they have to use 100 percent barley but they can mess with what they barrel it in oh okay and so they can um you'll see a lot of scotches will use like old cherry barrels right which mm. is and so they get some of the other use like red wine and they'll get those like dark fruit flavors and they'll have like a dark red tint to them D- does that make it like a little bit sweeter it makes it yeah it, it's like um like the bitter taste that you get from a red cherry, it has that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because like my mind went, and it may not be the same thing at all, but I do like a lot of smoking in like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like a meat smoker, like right, like yeah, not like cigarettes. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. So, Mom, I promise. <laughs> yeah, like, like the meat smoker, right? And like you know, hickory is your go-to kind of like wood, but you can use cherry, and it adds to some of those complex flavors. Right. And I'm wondering if that's kind of the same. It, it would probably feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I know that. That, that sometimes they kind of hide it, but they will often advertise like what it is aged in. I know that for the American Oak, which is Akintoshan's kind of like basic run, it's the one that's most prevalent. Like you can find it in a lot of liquor stores. It's actually distributed by Jim Beam. 
oh, in yeah, yeah. the U.S. Okay. And so, like, that's why it's prevalent, and that's why I was able to find it. That they start with bourbon, and then I think they use um, they go to other things. I don't know what they use, but they go to other barrels to kind of finish it off, and that's where they get their flavor profile from. Interesting. Yeah, um, it's got a weird aftertaste. Yeah, like it. Well, I I don't know if it's weird. It's different than like a. Like it doesn't taste, it doesn't have the alcoholic aftertaste, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like it, it like, right. I, I don't know. I don't even know how to, to describe it. It just like, doesn't yeah. taste like I'm drinking alcohol. I'm so excited to get to the peated one next <laughs> because that has an aftertaste, but, but you're right. It like, it kind of lingers with you a lot of times. Like I feel like when I drink scotch, I'm still kind of tasting it the next day, which is a little odd. Some people really like scotch alongside like cigars because it's like this very strong smoky flavor alongside, alongside the smoky flavor of a cigar. That's interesting because I was, I was like, when you said you sometimes taste it the next day, I was like, that's what I feel like when I smoke a cigar. Yes. And yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You kind of, you, scotch will let you kind of develop this, um, where it's, it's like people say like oh, your first taste of wine isn't what it tastes like. Yeah. You know, and I think scotch is very much the same way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so scotch, some rules about it has to be aged at least three years. It's almost always aged longer. Um, and okay. that's because they have such a long history that they have like barrels and barrels and barrels, right? So they can afford to age it for like mostly like 10, 12, wow. even like 15, 18, 20 years. You can get scotches wow. that are aged that long. You're going to pay for it. Yeah. I was going to say, that's got to be expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially in the U.S. Cheaper in like Scotland, but you know, we have shipping and stuff and tariffs. So mm. that, that increases that price. They are characterized by complexity, by strong character. Um, so they're not going to be easy to drink. They're not going to be soft or something like that. Not you're sipping. not yeah, they're not like they're, you're going to sit down and it's harder, I think, to pair. Typically, it's also harder to mix into a mixed drink. You're kind of like getting the drink with scotch. Yeah, I don't really like think of or I can't really think of a mixed drink that is scotch. Yeah, not any of the popular ones. Yeah. I know they exist and I, I believe they're probably more popular in like in the UK than they where, are here. Where it's probably a little bit cheaper. Cheaper, right, right. Akintoshin, you can find on you can find in like the thirty dollar price range. Oh, that's not bad. But but that yeah, and that's but that's also kind of like the bottom for scotch until you get into like the really crappy ones. You know? <laughs> but if it's like a true like single malt scotch, then um, which which single malt when I say that that means it's sticking to like the one barley rule uh, or one hundred percent barley rule, then you're going to be paying for that. Especially, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but and Akintosh and I've even seen in times where the tariffs change or where supply and demand changes, where it gets up into even like fifty dollar range. So there's oh. a bit of variability there. And oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love economics. I know you're studying that. Um, are you ready for the next one? Yeah. I I don't know which one I like more between um, really? this and the Templeton. Okay. Yeah. I I think I need to try more of the scotch mm-hmm. because it did, like the first time I tasted it, did honestly taste a little bit different. Like there was less of that like strange, like weird aftertaste. Okay. So I, I like, you know, I'm sitting back here. Dalton's like explaining and I'm like sipping a little bit of this drinking some water and trying the other one i'm like ooh, they're both good yeah they're both good <laughs> yeah they're both really good so. yeah and, and and like i said you you kind of need those multiple tastes of scotch like have it like linger on your palate a little bit like get into your nostrils get into your throat so that when you start to taste it you're you're like okay this is the complexity like now i'm getting past the initial rush of like alcohol and like other like very forward flavors and, and you're starting to figure out what the distiller kind of wanted you to taste um, yeah. i think scotch because of the i think the complexity in barrel typically lends to a broader flavor profile than complexity and mash oh okay. and so generally it, it feels like that sounds like the exact opposite to me yeah right? it like, kind of does it sounds like it? if you change the mash it would change it would you know right change the flavor more than what it sits in yeah yeah right? but the but the kind oh, of the reason for cool. that is because it's distillation kind of removes a lot of flavors 
it, it yeah. kind of acts okay. as like a, as a filtration as like a kidney to flavor <laughs> right and okay. so oh it's almost and so when you get into barreling it's like that's what happens right before you taste it and so anything that okay. it's yeah. touching okay. and right. i know it seems like well how would it be affected by a bear well scotches sit for 10 years or something yeah so it picks up a lot uh, oh man so okay so you said that it has to be minimum three yes minimum three so okay and what so what's the this may not even be a fair question but like what's the average i mean yeah so the most widely distributed scotch and actually where i would probably point you if you want to just like tip your toe into scotch would be macallan 12 and like if you have seen a macallan 12 bottle you're like oh i know that that's what scotch is like that's what <laughs> scotch looks like yeah that's the macallan 12 bottle and it's sort of like in the mid-tier it's a little bit more it's more than 30 but it's not going to be like 80 and it's going to taste it's it's like half peated almost so it's not like the next one we're going to drink is from is lafroig from isla which is a very 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 heavily peated so i wanted you to get the two ends of the spectrum okay perfect um mccallan would be like in the middle i think of like johnny walker is that scotch yeah johnny walker is scotch yeah, yeah. it's a blended scotch and so it's another one where they actually distill at a couple different distilleries and then they that's why johnny walker has like red label black label blue label green yeah. label and it's because they're getting the exact same levels of quality which eat with each label because it's blended oh okay oh yeah. it's so it's Similar to the Canadian. Yes. Yeah, where, in that where way. It's, okay. And so Canadians are blended. The uh, Johnny or, yeah, the Johnny Walker is blended. Yeah, scotches can be. Scotches it, can be. They will typically either say something like single malt scotch whiskey, or they'll say something like blended scotch whiskey or something like I that. I never knew what single malt meant. Yeah, it means it means the barley. Okay. The 100% so, in the mashed barley. So is like a blended whiskey typical, typically more expensive because there's like more processing that goes into it? I think that will actually just end up varying. Oh yeah, um, because because they can basically they can cut corners on some of the blends and make some of the other blends nicer and then like blend it together. Got it. Okay. And so there's a little bit also of like they have to kind of be big enough to like do that. You know, like they have to have a big <laughs> yeah. enough production capacity to like yeah. where that becomes. But basically, what they're trying to do is they're also you can think of it they're trying to like min max their production where they're going to have like certain people focused on making a certain quality and so other production sites focused on certain qualities and then they blend it to get what they want. That okay, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so the reason I brought up Macallan 12 to answer your aging question is because Macallan 12 is aged for 12 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so you can get Macallan 18 and other things. but mm, That's probably um, expensive. It is, yeah. And I think <laughs> like if you're starting out, you don't need to go more than 12 years. You're not going to taste the difference. You're not gonna, okay. You know, so like, um, and I think, I don't really know that I've seen many things marketed. It, and Scotch, if they are aged for like 10 years, they're going to tell you that, right? Um, so if it's like- They're proud of that. They're fact. proud of that and they want to, you to know that that's what you're paying for. Um, so if you're not seeing an age, it's probably less than that. It's not going to be less than three, but it, it can be between like maybe three and eight, probably something, something somewhere in there. And I think you as a new user, a, a new drinker would taste something that's like <laughs> three to three to eight, but you versus like 10 or 12, but you wouldn't taste like the difference between 10 and 12 and like 18 and 20. Okay, cool. Okay. So let's move on to the Isla scotch. Um, so you'll want to sniff this one before you taste it. Yes. Whoa. Whoa, what, what is that? <laughs> so that is Pete. Nelson's like wiping his nose in disgust. <laughs> I promise you it tastes good. It um, smells like a bog. It smells. It, it smells. smells. It smells. Um, That's it all will... I have to say about that. <laughs> yep. There are several regions of Scotland that make different characterized scotches. This is from the, a region called Isla, which is an isle off like the west coast of Scotland. And they are known for putting the most peat, just packing as much peat into flavor into their scotch as they can. So like I said, what that means is they take their malted barley, um, which has begun to sort of germinate and sprout, and they roast it over a, a, mo a peat moss fire. 
and it imparts this like earthiness it imparts this smokiness into the into the wart that is then kind of carried through and so you get this like very aromatic very like campfire type of smoke um, that when you taste it even after you like finish the taste it will like last with you and this is the one that i think specifically it feels like you smoked a cigar at the end of it interesting it smells yeah. like someone took play-doh and put it in the oven <laughs> that's a really good description I like that. <laughs> it tastes different than it smells mm-hmm. the aftertaste is there that's an aftertaste the aftertaste is what you smelled yeah. most closely anyway and it does it does feel like a cigar yeah like it and once it goes away and it settles it's like oh I see what that's about now. I see why people like that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting, yeah. It's definitely interesting. When you let it kind of develop, Isla is an isle, and so it's an island. Um, and so it has almost like a brininess to it because, again, it's it's aged in a barrel that is not – and Lafroig is what we're drinking. That's a 10-year single malt. Um, and so – and a lot of Islas actually will say on there, this is an Isla single malt and because they're kind of like proud yeah. of their territory, and they're yeah. the ones that pack the peat in. Like, that's their thing. <laughs> Um, is that just because they had a lot of it? Or? Yeah, I don't know how that started. I'm sure there's a whole like thing to it. But we both watch uh, Parks and Rec, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Ron Swanson drinks Lagavulin, which is an Isla Scotch. Oh, okay. And so there's also like that episode where he visits Scotland and he goes to Isla. That's I, what he's there to I do. have no recollection of that episode whatsoever. Oh, okay. It's in like mm, I need maybe to re- towards the middle end. Okay. I need to rewatch. I yeah. keep. I need to reread this. I need to rewatch this. <laughs> yeah. I want to consume the same content over and over. <laughs> yeah. But also the new content. Yeah. All of it. All the content. Do you know what? The job is getting in the way. That's right. We should quit. <laughs> we should. We have so money saved. If you want to support us doing yeah. this full time. <laughs> if you want to teach us how to set up a Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> anyway. I, I like the other one better okay you like the non-peated one yeah better? i like the non-peated one better this this is sort of the equivalent of dropping you into like a triple ipa okay you yeah. know this is like the, the most strong abrasive character that we can pack into us into a whiskey yeah. it would be an isla scotch and, and i think i like the taste is the aftertaste that kind of brings it down for me yeah um, yeah that's fair the, like the aftertaste is just it's it's harsh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's weird yeah people love these with like red meats steaks like just kind of that like super you know the the guy's night out kind of feeling yeah. to it you know finish a bottle of scotch together or whatever um but it, i think isla scotches for me i i love them i have trouble having more than one though it's kind of like i have the taste of it and i'm like that was really good but i don't need a bunch of it yeah so would you pair this one with a cigar i personally i would not but people do okay yeah um i You're... wouldn't because it's too much smoke paired with smoke yeah i think yeah, that would yeah. be abrasive yeah. but but i have had um like the akintoshin i have had that that we had last I have had that with a cigar um, because it's not quite as like smoky forward. It's still complex, but it's not as like a overwhelming of a smoke flavor. So it kind of works. Yeah. This is one that you got to, if you're going to like switch to something else, you got to like rinse out with water or something to like gargle, <laughs> gargle it to try and get it out of your, out of your palate before you taste something else. Oh, one thing I wanted to say earlier, Isla, because it is an Island. And like I said, all, almost all scotches are aged um, and without temperature control. And it's a, if you think about it, England, the UK is actually a tropic, essentially, right? It's it's not a warm tropic, but it is a tropic climate because the ocean sort of standardizes their... It's very temperate there. It's a cold yeah. temperate, but it's it's temperate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so they don't have uh, temperature control in a lot of the Isla um, distilleries. And so they pick up some of like the salt, some of the brininess from the, from the ocean. Um, so as you become more 
I guess, developed and, and you can kind of bring that out and you let it kind of sit on your palate. And just as you become a more, I guess, experienced whiskey drinker, you'll start to pick up some of like the salty notes that are in almost all Isla Scotches, which is kind of cool. Interesting. I think I still have to say that the, the Templeton rye is still holding that top spot though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I, I, I just like it. Maybe I need, so I need to drink scotch one more time and then maybe it flips, right? That's right. Uh, I'll give you the Akintoshin one more time. The third time is is when I'm the lifelong drinker. That's right. So that's good to know. That's right. But, and I, man, I wish that I could be a lifetime scotch drinker, but I'm just, I'm not financially there yet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I either need to move to the UK or like receive a tenfold raise. (laughs) Please don't move to the UK. Yeah, that's a long. I, I I would support you getting the raise, but don't right. move to the UK, please. Okay, then we'll go the raise route. <laughs> yeah, we'll go the raise route so that I can financially afford to be an avid Scotch drinker. It's just expensive, is all. I'm never gonna financially recover from this. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Pours another glass. <laughs> I, I I am a little afraid that this uh, this glass that I'm drinking this the peated Scotch from is gonna taste like this for the rest of its tenure. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be imparted on the glass. I was worried that it was going to, you know, like eat through it, you know, that we just... <laughs> Yeah, it'll uh it'll clean your it'll clean your shoes off. It's polarizing. Yeah. I I love peated scotches are polarizing. You like them or you don't. Um so it would be interesting, you know, next time we um do a tasting like this, it would be interesting to try with you now that you've tried the Akintoshin and you liked it and you tried this end of the spectrum, it would be interesting to try, you know, your Macallans, your Glenmorangies, like some of the ones that are ha- sort of half peated like somewhere in the middle. Okay, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so let's move on to Irish whiskeys. Okay. Here, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Um, so you'll note from the Irish whiskey, typically um, have have a lot of, uh, have a darker color. Yeah, I was going to say it looks amber. Yeah, like, sort of like an amber color. I'm not entirely sure what brings that out, but I believe it's from, so Irish whiskeys also have to be 100% barley, but they do not have to be 100% malted barley. So similar okay. to the scotch, they can make a mixture of mal- malted and like roasted barley. Um, and I believe that roasting, it would be akin to like a stout, how a stout will will roast the um, different grains that they're using. And, and Irish will do that too. I've actually had, I've been to the Jameson Distillery, or it's not actually their distillery, it's more of like a, like a um, it used to be their distillery, now it's like a front in Dublin that they <laughs> okay, yeah, kept yeah. there. Um, there's only three Irish distilleries still, but I've been to the Jameson one. And they let you sort of feel a malted barley and it's hard, like it's like a stony. Um, and then even though it's like, been soaked in water as it germinate for whatever reason it's, it's it's very 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 hard versus the roasted is, is cooked and that actually feels like bread and you you could eat it it was like a snack it felt oh, like, interesting yeah it was sort of like a sunflower seed almost you could just yeah. pop it in and eat it um, huh. and so like we actually did that. it was tasted like cereal um huh. it'll have less complexity than scotch because some of that sweetness from the roasted barley will come in and sort of overpower some of the complex flavors but it gets back to like sort of how canadian whiskey felt where it was very easy to drink um, oh, okay yeah. yeah so as you as you go ahead and taste this one It'll taste, you should get that it's a little smoother, a little easier. It's not as sweet as bourbon, but it's like sweeter than scotch. So, so what what is the name of this one that we're drinking? Oh, yeah. Thank you. So this is um, Sexton, um, which I... You did it on the podcast. I did on the podcast. Yeah, and I'm, I don't remember which one. It was episode six or seven, I think. It's an octagon bottle. It's a hexagon bottle. Hexagon bottle. <laughs> it's got six sides. It's sort of stubby. Like it's kind of yeah. short and stubby, um, but it's, it's got, it, it's great shelf candy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it's just it, it's sort of a uh, sort of a conversation piece the bottle is but all almost all scotches not all scotches but almost all scotches are distilled twice you would distill the more you distill the more you purified you can get your liquor um irishes are always distilled three times oh okay um and that's well, actually I, it's not like a requirement but it's like tradition 
okay. that there's still three times. They also have to be aged three years. Um, and then the other uh, requirement is that they have the 100% barley, but they are allowed to either roast or um, malt it. Um, Jameson, for instance, does 50-50 between the two, I think. Huh. And I, if I remember right, but I don't know what Sexton does. But that's one area they're allowed to play in. Um, and they are also allowed to play around with the barreling, like scotches. But because of some of the sweetness of the roast, they don't always go to the complexity that scotch does with their barreling. Interesting. Yeah, it smells fantastic. It, it doesn't it? I yeah. love the smell of Irish whiskey. So the other, I said, if you're at a bar and you're just looking for something to sip on, my number one, just order something to sip on at a bar is Jameson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah the most I've popular. Had before. Yeah, yeah, it's the most popular of the Irish whiskeys, and and so Sexton is a, it's kind of a step up. It's a little bit nicer. It's not like an eighty dollar bottle. It's more like I think thirty, thirty five. Whereas Jameson might be like twenty, twenty five, something like that. Um, so it's a little bit nicer, but it, it would feel sort of reminiscent of Jameson. That one tastes good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I just love it's Irish whiskey. It's very smooth. Yeah, it's that's. I think that's the number one. It's Irish whiskeys are why I don't drink Canadian whiskeys. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I think they have the same level of like we want this to be smooth, easy, approachable that Canadian whiskeys do. But I just prefer Irish whiskeys personally. Yeah. So, like Jameson is a is a name brand that everyone kind of recognizes. Mm-hmm. Is Irish whiskey more distributed in the U.S. than like a Scotch? It feels like it is. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if I. I do know that. Irish whiskeys are typically barreled for less time. Like it's not like you're having a 10, 12, 18 year Irish whiskey. And a lot of that's just like tradition. Um, like I said, Irish are also, they were the first. So they were the first ones to kind of come up with the distillation and barreling process to make what we know as whiskey. I think it's actually just a culture thing that they just want to put out a whiskey so that we can all drink and have a good time. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so because of that, they don't end up with like the price level that scotches have and that sort of thing. It's very easy very easy it's i feel relaxed yeah like drinking it right like it's it's not you know it's the flavor profile it it tastes good but it's not like it doesn't hit you yeah so yeah it also it doesn't overstay it's welcome like scotch can right it kind of like it's on your palate and then it'll kind of leave yeah it feels kind of like a pilsner almost Okay, yeah, like when like, you have like a really nice pilsner. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, and that, that's what I'm, like I'm not talking about. Because I'm like gonna the, be, oh, I'm gonna caution. Here. No, no, I, and yes, thank you. I'm not talking about like you know like the the coolers light or anything like that. But like when you get like a pilsner from a brewery, it's a, it's a very light, uh, easy drinking, and like the flavor doesn't stay with you too long. Yeah, and actually, I think it's a really good comparison because I think Irish whiskeys do get a bad rap for being like a trash whiskey sort of like when we say the name pilsner that it comes across as like oh yeah you're drinking Coors light or something like that but there is complaint and people are always uh, i've gotten looks at bars when i've been like oh i'll have a jameson and they're like has a shot and i'm like no just like neat like i just want to sip on it and bartenders will look at me like what the hell are you talking about? yeah right <laughs> yeah unless i go to like a nice bar in like chicago or something oh, and they're okay. like okay you want a jameson here you go yeah. you know and they're like do you want a guinness with that <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes i do <laughs> I love More it. than anything. I, I love Irish pubs. <laughs> That's my favorite place to hang out. So yeah, so where does it uh where does it rank or compare? I think I still like the Templeton more, like mm-hmm. the Rye the Rye more. Mm-hmm. But I think that one's like, holding on. Like yeah. Like I like this one, but I would definitely drink uh the 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 Sexton, the Irish whiskey more. Good, yeah. Um like I like the taste, but it's like it's just the Sexton's so easy to drink. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I would I would hang on to that and that would that would probably be like my go-to out of like, if I was just like to drink something rather than like, mm. you know, like to taste it to like feel yeah. it, like the Templeton Rye seems like I don't know more of an experience. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but maybe hard to have three of them. Where yeah. like I know I could have three Sextons. That yeah. would be fine. Like Templeton Rye is the main, exp- 
the main attraction. Yeah. Whereas like you can pair the Sexton or the Irish whiskey with something else. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. You want to move on to the Japanese whiskey? Yeah, let's do it. Final one. All right. So Japanese, here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Um, Japanese whiskey. I've heard it described as the California of whiskeys. So California right now has this thing where it's like, they're sort of new to wine, right? They're not like the tradition of French wine, but they're the innovation of modern wine. Okay. Japanese yeah. Japan would be the innovation of modern whiskey. And so when you taste, and I, I just, I mean, we talk, both of our companies harp on Kaizen and continuous improvement within Japanese culture. Right. I think you taste that in their whiskey. When you taste Japanese whiskey, you taste the three or four things specifically that they want you to taste and nothing else. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's crisp and it's direct and it's precise. And they are, they are the ones that are experimenting. They actually started from scotch. And so they have a ton of scotch influences. A lot of them still come from barley and that sort of thing. They're largely copying Scottish influences. But as I was looking around, I couldn't find really what the requirements for what being called a Japanese whiskey are. I don't know if they have that set yet. New. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's still kind of new. It's the startup. Right, right. <laughs> there are no rules. <laughs> there are no rules. Um, but like a, a Scottish whiskey, they will have a still, what, what they do their distillations in. The, the shape and the size of that set and it's very standardized and they're the same uh, materials and they're the same design and they believe that that kind of imparts a certain it, it, that it has an influence on their flavor and it actually does because the design of a still can influence what elements what chemicals stay in the whiskey and what come out during distillation japanese are really playing around right now with they, they're building distillers that have a lot of different stills and so they'll still a portion in a big one and a, and a portion in a small one and then they'll blend stuff that came from small ones and big ones and different shapes and sizes and different materials and so they're the ones out there that are just kind of like messing around right now and it's yielding some really cool results the r&d playground yeah the r&d playground of whiskey <laughs> that's a good way to put it so the first thing that i notice is it looks it's clear like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it looks like a white wine almost like it's right every all these other whiskeys that we've been tasting are amber in color. Right. This one, like, if you set this in front of me, I would tell you that that's not a whiskey. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. It, it also, has sort of like a, a light honey look to it, a color to yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it also, like, doesn't have as many legs. Am I, am I saying that correctly? I Yeah, I see that as well. Like, they'll sort of, like, develop as you let it, like, as you swirl it and, like, let it sit. But in general, they don't. And part of that's because we are drinking today Centauri Toki whiskey. And that one's bottled at 43%, so just over the 40% standard. Um, I believe it's coming from the lack of color. It's kind of coming from the... They're, they're not using the charred oak that a lot of other whiskeys are using right now. So that's part of it. Interesting. So, so as you taste that, what kind of light comes forward for you? That's good. It's good? Yeah, it's smooth. It's ridiculously smooth. Yeah, wow. That's... Oh, yeah. Remember when I said, like, it's, like, precise? That's what I'm kind of, like, getting at. It's like they got the, af the alcohol aftertaste that you're looking for without the burn. Like almost. Yeah, like isn't that amazing? Oh man, yeah, this is. And and so Centauri Toki is actually the only Japanese whiskey that I have had. So as I'm like having this discussion, I'm going to talk specifically about that whiskey because I don't know other Japanese whiskeys. Um, but I bought this bottle, looking to kind of like dip my toe into it. And so if you're looking to do that with Japanese whiskeys as well, I would recommend that as a starting point. And after having this bottle, it's like I'm absolutely going to drink more Japanese whiskey because I think this is a phenomenal whiskey. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's great. Mm -hmm. It's great. I think honey comes across really powerfully yeah. in this whiskey. Yeah. That's kind of like when I taste just a little bit and I don't get a burn and I like I do that swallow and I kind of like smack my lips or like breathe out a little bit. That's the that like clove honey is what kind of sits with me. And I, I love that taste. I like I, I taste it and I'm like, man, that is just such a good place to just sit in. You know? Yeah. I, I I I am really enjoying this. It almost seems like it's there it's like two different 
drinks. Like it doesn't even feel right. like I'm tasting. And th- this is probably a function of me having them back to back to back. Sure. But like the rye versus this are completely mm. different. Like there's a oh, completely absolutely. different flavor profile. Yes. Which like, and that's just maybe me as an inexperienced whiskey drinker. But like if I sit down and I have two different beers, like I have an IPA versus a Pilsner, like I can tell the difference. And I may right. not, I, I probably wouldn't be able to do that right now with a whiskey if I like right. had one on Tuesday and one on Saturday. Uh, but right, like, it might be hard to tell. Yeah, but like if you give me the rye versus this, uh, this Japanese whiskey, which like do they have? Is it just Japanese whiskey, or do they have like a name for it? Like no, it would be Japanese whiskey. So it's yeah, the ones we've gone through would be in our American whiskeys. We did bourbon, and then Canadian whiskey, Scotch for the Scottish whiskey, Irish whiskey, and Japanese whiskey. So three of the four, or three of the five, use just the name of the country. Yeah, but like I mean, it, it looks like wine, mm-hmm. which which is fascinating. I think the comparison between rye that you're making. And this Japanese whiskey would be like an IPA to like a Belgian. Okay, yeah. You know, like where that Belgian comes across and it's like, okay, there's only like three, maybe four flavors here, but I like what they are and they yeah. sit with me in they the right nailed way. It. <laughs> they nailed it and it sits with me right, you yeah. know? Whereas like the the sky, or I'm sorry, the the rye is a lot more complex of a flavor profile. Yeah, absolutely. This just sledgehammering you with... Yeah. A couple of those. Yes. So it's just, it's very, like the, the, the range of whiskey is very diverse. Yeah. Like it just seems. Which is crazy because you're like, at the end of the day, we're drinking ethanol and water. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're drinking just alcohol that gets you drunk and water. That's and it. they put it in different barrels for different And they put it in different times. barrels. They created alcohol from different grains. But they can create this whole like spectrum of, yeah, from something as, as pure and delicate as like the Japanese whiskey to as like powerful and I guess commanding as like the scotch or the rye or something like that. Yeah. So since that was the last one, I think. I'm going to have to say it's a tie between the Templeton Rye and then the Japanese uh, Wow, yeah, the, the Centauri. Whiskey, the Centauri. I, like, it starts with an S, so I keep wanting to say Saki. Uh, oh, yeah, Saki. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's Saki. Like, That's not right. That is not right. But, yeah, so, like, the, the Templeton Rye versus the Centauri Whiskey, I think, is my the tie for that top. I want to try more of the Scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to try less of the peated stuff yeah um, work your I, way up to the yeah just let me wor- yeah let me start with the the single ipa and let me work all the way up yeah uh but like the yeah the centauri is just good it's just good and like <laughs> it is like i like them for different reasons which is why i'm giving them the tie like i would i would go templeton and centauri right there at the top and i want to try more scotch because i could see that rising up there yeah yeah that's the that's the one um that has, scotch is the one that has the acquired taste it takes some time but once you get into it it is so rewarding because it is the one that like i said it's the king it's the one that has the most complexity it has the, the ones where you'll you'll taste it and you're like man there's so much going on there and it's just wonderful but again even like i love whiskeys um but it's i i don't have a ton of experience in scotch because they're just they're so hard to like commit to i obviously like still i prefer overall bourbons because uh the second bourbon that we tasted or the second whiskey even that we tasted tonight is my favorite of the ones that we've had on the table um, because i think that it has like the complexity that i like out of scotch um while still having like some of the sweetness the approachability the 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 dark earthy flavors that come from bourbon that i just i personally really enjoy so but this is what i love about whiskey is that it has like it has a place for everybody, you know? And I know that it has, like, when you hear whiskey, you're like, man, whiskey sounds like a bad hangover. Like, that's, yeah, I think, exactly, what everyone, yeah. you know, that's the starting point that a lot of people have. But in, in reality, when you got to get get into it and get used to it and develop a palate for it and you realize, like, okay, I'm just going to have, like, a drink or two, that there's a, there's a lot of reward for just doing a little bit of, I guess, exposure to it. Well, like, this has been fascinating. 
right? I, I think I still like beer okay. more. I would still vote beer on the Face Off Friday. Okay. But like, fine. It's not. It's not an automatic choice at this point. You have to think right? about it. Yeah, I, I would have to think about it a little bit. And like, good. Like, good. <laughs> and like, like just like we have them on the table right now, just like looking at them, and like they just look different. And like, I I hope that you know you you are able to listen along and kind of. Like I know a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're driving, so I hope mm-hmm. you're not tasting along if you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> but we do not recommend that. <laughs> we do not. We probably should put that at the front. We should probably should have started <laughs> with the disclaimer. Like, hit the ground running with that one. But I mean, like this th- this has been great. Like and, and awesome. I am really looking forward to seeing the show notes uh, mm-hmm. because like Dalton's going to be putting together the show notes for us. Th- those will be posted on our website fantasyandsoflights.com, yeah. and it's going to run through the the different whiskeys that we trialed. Yep. Right. And yep. kind of give a, a, a little overview of each one, I kind of assume. Yeah. Yeah. Give like a little overview of each one. Give like what again, kind of what the what the different names mean, what you can kind of expect when you approach an Irish whiskey versus a bourbon versus a scotch or whatever. And the other thing I would I would say, if you're listening to this and, and you've never really stepped into whiskeys, it's hard to buy the bottle. Right, because that's yeah. a big commitment. That's yeah, like it really is. It's like buying a thirty pack of beer. And you're like, I hope I like these. <laughs> yeah. Right, because it takes a long time to drink them. Um, so I would say, don't do that. Go to a bar. You know, um, go to not like a dive, but like go to a <laughs> decent bar. Try yourself. Um, try yourself a Maker's. That's a good example of a bourbon. Or if they have Elijah Craig, I would I would say put that one on as well. And then try yourself a Jameson. That's a great approachable Irish. Try yourself the Crown that we tried today. Um, and those are ways that you can just kind of step in, kind of see what it's about. Don't try scotch. <laughs> Not until you've been back to the bar later. Um, but just kind of give some of those a try. See if it's something that you're about. And then any of those three brands that I just mentioned are going to run in the like probably less than 35 range. Um, so that's for the a- bottle. For the bottle. For the bottle. <laughs> not, yeah, not for the, the drink. drink at the bar. <laughs> well, it depends on what bar you're at, I guess. Right. But like, yeah. Right. Um, and if it's hard to drink, don't force yourself to drink it straight. A lot of whiskey drinkers say you can, um, first of all, you can ask a bartender for a splash of water. That's very common. Um, that opens up the whiskey so that if you're not used to an alcohol taste, it'll remove some of that alcohol taste and you'll just kind of taste the taste that you're supposed to have. Right. And so a lot of people, even like aficionados, will still drink with a splash of water and almost anything. Um, have yourself an ice cube. That'll cool down the whiskey um, because when you taste an alcohol it makes your mouth more sensitive to heat that's one of the things that it's doing is it's activating the same nerves that are sensitive to capsaicin Um, and so if you have it with ice it gives your mouth the feel that it's still cold and it doesn't freak out at this alcohol taste you know (laughs) yeah it's like assaulting it Um, so have it with an ice cube what's that that's on the rocks right yeah on the rocks yeah you can order it on the rocks you'll be like super fancy (laughs) let it sit a second just to just to uh, melt a little bit and taste it swirl it taste it do our Kentucky chew, you know, do a view, do a sniff with your mouth open, do a taste and breathe out. Um, and it, you'll find that whiskey is a lot more approachable than you maybe first thought. Yeah. And I, I just want to reiterate that point that you just made. Like after you smell it, see it, look at it, it does taste different. Like, yeah. You're getting all your senses just involved. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're getting all of your senses involved. And so like highly recommend doing that. Oh, yeah. This, this has been a lot of fun. Good. I, I'm so I've, glad. I've really enjoyed this episode. Great. Um, maybe we'll see Nelson drinking some whiskeys in some future episodes. Yeah, we'll maybe. see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so definitely check out the show notes. I think I'm really looking for the show notes. Those are going to be on our website, yep. fantasyandsomeflights.com. And if you, uh, you want to reach out to us, contact us, communicate with us, answer the icebreaker questions that we answered, uh, contact us on social media, fantasy and some flights. Uh, you should be able to find us. If not, we have links all on our website. So yep. that's the that's the best way to find us. So 
unless you have anything else. I think I've talked enough. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been sitting back in fascination. Uh, (laughs) uh, Then let's call this a wrap. Let's call it a wrap. This was an awesome episode. I'm really happy that we did this. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.